Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is a conversation amongst a group of experts, practitioners, technologists, uh, people that are passionate about the topic of DevOps and related uh, software creation and testing and delivery and all the technologies, processes, people, issues that kind of go with that. So uh, we're happy to have a great panel here today. Really interesting topic. Before I get there, I first want to thank our longtime partners and friends from Tricentis, who are uh, co-creators of this show with us, collaborate on topics and guests and uh, things that we we love to discuss. We're, though we're not talking about their products or other products specifically, but the folks at Tricentis have really been uh, very creative and uh, wonderful collaborators. And we look forward to lots of great shows coming that we have in the works for you. So thanks to uh, Lanier and team, and also to Jody, our executive producer, and the folks at TechStrong that also helped bring this to you, which there are many folks that, that all come together to make us look good while we're on this panel together. So our topic is talking about DevOps and low-code, no-code. And going through the deploy test, the develop test and deploy cycle. And we'll get into a little bit what the topic is more. But first, I want to introduce or have our guests introduce themselves. Um, first, if uh, if you would, uh, Simona, would you would you introduce yourself, please? Sure, Mitch. Um, hi, everybody. It's uh, lovely to be here. My name is Simona Dumazatoska. I work uh, in product marketing at Tricentis. I've been uh, primarily responsible for our test automation solutions, and that's Tricentis Tosca, and now more recently, our SaaS-based test automation solution, Tricentis Test Automation. Uh, looking forward to the discussion and um, hearing your opinions on this exciting topic. Well, I think we'll have lots of those, lots of opinions, <laughs> <laughs> including one of your two. Uh, great. How about, um, let's see, uh, Nir Kush, would you would you introduce yourself, Nir Kush? Sure. Thank you for having me, Mitch, here. Uh, lovely to be here. My name is Nirankush Panjbhai. You all can address me as Kush. I work at ServiceNow. I run their uh, product management org for the platform where we have lots of tools, which are low-code, pro-code, testing tools for all the developers of all kind to build on the platform. Uh, looking forward to this amazing panel discussion today. Fantastic. And uh, last but not least, we used to have a gentleman on the show. His name was uh, Clint Sprague, but he's moved on. And we have a new guest. His name is Clint Sprague. Kind of looks like the old Clint. And yeah, actually, just, it looks yeah, a lot it sounds, it sounds a lot like him. <laughs> well, you actually rolled. You used to be with Tricentis, but we're, getting, we're we're super pleased to have you back in your new role at Delphix. Tell us, welcome, Clint. Tell us about yourself and, and the kind of work that you do. Awesome, thank you. My name is Clint Sprav. I'm director of product marketing at Delphix. Uh, I primarily cover our cloud pillar for test data management uh, as well as competitive intelligence. So what I do is I focus on being able to implement DevOps, uh, continuous DevOps and continuous compliance in the cloud. So that's my primary focus. And uh, really looking forward to this great discussion with the folks on the panel today. Excellent, fantastic. I think I've got everybody introduced. Um, so we're off to a good start. So yeah, low code, no code, it's not a new topic. And certainly we saw a lot of uh, kind of acceleration and adoption of low code, no code, especially in business units, but also within IT organizations. And I think one of the questions people kind of ran into along the way is, 
well, how does low-code, no-code fit with DevOps or does it, or do we have to do some things differently? Um, in the end, these things all combine, whether it's one low-code node application and another, you know, built in a traditional development tool. Now, these things all merge together to eventually come uh, out as one or multiple applications or databases, data sources, things that all talk to each other. So while we might create an application in a specific tool or technology, oftentimes, you know, pretty quickly, they'll start to interface and work with other, maybe even have to coordinate uh, releases with that. So we, we want to really kind of delve into the, not just the development part and why low-code, no-code is different, but as we start to enter the test and, and deploy cycle, uh, what are the things we do? Or how have we adapted it or adapted DevOps to kind of include it in that sort of people uh, process technology wheel, if you will? Um, who, anybody want to take a first kind of stab at, you know, here, here's here's how you think low-code, no-code fits into the, the DevOps uh, infinity loop, if that's a good way to start. So jump right in. Whoever's first gets the, the you know, gets the first prize. I have to tell you after the show what the prize is. But cool. I, I can jump in, but, but I will okay. hold you to that prize. Okay, thanks. Good. So Mitch, you're right. Like low-code, no-code is uh, not a new thing. It has been there in the industry for many years. Uh, the thing which I love about low-code, no-code is it brings the culture of innovation where you're empowering all kinds of builders to build applications which can delight the end users. But when they are building these applications, having the right guardrails in place are very, very important. And testing tools, the DevOps tools, source control are all the right guardrails which are put in so that that innovation, that creativity, which that builder is building can be taken from an idea to production seamlessly. I guess it's great. Just to start. Yeah, sorry. Great start. And if I may add, I really echo uh, the point of uh, Nish. Was it Nish? Sorry. Kush. Kush. Um, yeah. So it, it really goes back to how do you define DevOps to begin with, right? So it's quite a loaded term and it has frequently been relegated to the realms of development and R&D. But if you if we if we look at DevOps as a concept that improves the speed, efficiency, and quality of software delivery, that's when I think we need to go beyond development and expand to, as you say, Mitch, different line of business units and enable them to contribute to the software delivery process. And that's where I precisely see no-code and low-code platforms playing a huge role by enabling wider accessibility, different personas to contribute to the speed. Um, of the software delivery process. So that's just my perspective. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. I, I think also that one of the things that people tend to forget or organizations that um, bring in or implement uh, low-code, no-code solutions is that um, we look at it from a DevOps perspective, the challenge hasn't gone away. It's just sort of evolved. Right, just because it's low code, no code doesn't mean you're not going to have the same quality challenges, the same release challenges that you have. Right, so I think a lot of organizations, one of the things they need to embrace is the fact that not only is everyone doing DevOps differently, now we have to figure out, okay, how can we ensure just because we can do things 
with kind of a broader skill set of folks, but making sure that we can implement um, our solution and release our product and just don't assume that just because it's low code and no code that there we don't have any of the same challenges as most organizations would have implementing DevOps. So. 100%. I, I will plus one to what Clint is saying. In fact, in some cases, the challenges may increase because now you have pro developers building pro applications, you have citizen developers building applications, and you have no code builders building applications. So the amount of applications which are being built in an organization have increased because you have essentially democratized the way anyone can build in an organization. So having that DevOps cycle to take each and every application to the final journey becomes very, very important. And because this democratization has happened, there are various aspects. Mitch, you called out you have worked in security, like having the right security patterns, test cases, guardrails in place becomes paramount for that enterprise now because like they want more and more apps, more and more digitization. But at the same time, they want to make sure that the security footprint is still at the same bar, which was before. So plus one to what Clint was saying, that it becomes more and more important. You know, you mentioned um, citizen developers. I think at, at one period of time, I think we thought of low-code, no-code, really just a citizen developer tool, right? That's what people, non-technical people in the business units outside of IT, let them kind of play in their sandbox and go create their, their applications. So by the way, the first low-code, no-code app was VisiCalc, in my opinion. But anyway, that's that's going way back, you know, because <laughs> I saw some really weird things done with VisiCalc. Anyway, but but it really is much more than that. I mean, yes, it's, it's empowered and enabled, a lot of people, as you're talking about, Kush, in the business units to create their own applications and do data management and put in logic and screen flow and or whatever, my mobile apps, whatever it might be, without having to have super amount of depth. And then also work collaboratively with the IT organization when they need other things like security and data and integration apps. Or it's also a tool which IT uses. A lot of times those apps get subsumed or adopted or even now built within the IT organization themselves. True? Yep. Agree with that? I, I would say true. Yeah. Like uh, I, I often see low-code, no-code, and pro-code having a seamless bridge between them. Like Because I see low-code and no-code tools as a progression of an API. An API is used by a pro developer to build an application, but as you keep making that API uh, easier and easier to use all the way to drag and drop, you're essentially democratizing anyone to use that API. So the tool chain should be exactly the same. The challenges are exactly the same. The surface attack area is exactly the same. That's why like DevOps needs to be thought through not as only for a certain set of applications, but as a whole. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree, um, Kush. And I think that um, if we look at, you know, if we're speaking about personas, we should also talk about what are you testing? What is the application that you're testing? Is it a consumer-facing app? Is it SAP? Is it an enterprise ERP system, right? 
the speed at which different types of applications get built across different industries varies significantly. And that also has implications on who are the personas that are responsible for testing those applications as well. So, you know, I hate to bring up the agile testing pyramid, but it's a good thing to talk about, right? Because let's talk about consumer facing apps. I, I guess that's where speed of releases increases significantly. And you need to have a solid group of unit tests to test that individual code, um, integrate into and build, uh, com uh, sorry, uh, commit the code into your CICD pipeline and run those tests. The problems that arise is, what about those larger tests? What about your system tests, your integration tests, your end-to-end -end tests? Who is responsible for those? And let's just hypothetically say you have an SAP business analyst that is looking after you know, SAP applications, how, did, how does that team collaborate with a development team and what type of testing do they do? So as you can see, it all gets really complex. And I think that if we're going to answer the question of the personas, we should be really, we should clarify first, what are we testing? What is the scope of the testing? And what is the testing strategy? Because you can't do it all at once, you need to go bit by bit and understand, right, like, um, you know, where you're going to start. And I think that's that's a really crucial component. Yeah, that's a great point because there's also, there's so many different aspects to testing, right? A lot of times when we look at, we think low code, no code or pro code, we think of it either as development or we think, it as, think of it as just functional. But as, you know, um, uh, as you mentioned, the fact that, you have, you know, performance testing, you have unit testing, you've got all these other components that have really come into play that require a certain level of expertise. And then if you throw in test data on top of that, do I have the right amount of test data? Do I have that test data properly masked? So all these key components, all these components are still key in terms of how you develop that, that software and how it's going to relate to each of those uh, personas um, as you build that application. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think sort of the fallacy was, well, oh, we could create it because we've sort of abstracted out the complexity of the technology by using a low code, no code. But um, you know, not even good software developers are always <laughs> good at designing <laughs> testing strategies. I mean, yes, they're great at lots of things, but not everybody's great at everything. And it does take there are situations that takes that's benefit from a different mindset, right? You know. Yeah. Um, one of my kids was very good at breaking things and sometimes not intentionally, but you know, you want someone who's just like, let me use this in a way it's not intended. Let me design something for how we think it is supposed to be used and all those kind of things. Exactly. And, I, and I'm curious to what your experience is working with customers or, or yourselves. Um, how do you introduce the topic of testing beyond the citizen developer, let's say testing it themselves? Is it sort of the, this is breaking too much. We would need to get more help. Or can you roll this in as part of a larger discussion? Of, hey, okay, before we roll this out, that's got to it's got to calculate interest rates. So let's make sure that's you know we've got this well covered. Yeah, I think it depends on the organization and which group you're talking to, right? Because there are because we mentioned there's so many different personas, there's so many different aspects of quality in terms of how you build that into the application. 
you know, if you're talking to a developer that may be working on an enterprise package application, like a ServiceNow, like an SAP, like a Salesforce, that conversation is going to be different than if I'm working with someone that's more focused on kind of the end user side. So um, typically when, if I take it from just from a, a test data management perspective, you know, when we engage with a particular customer, we want to understand and typically, our customer will be probably a little bit more technical on the data side because they're working with working with dev testers. So they need to understand, okay, when you're building this, and we have to talk to different groups throughout the organization. So I need to understand, okay, how can I get a replication of production data? What are the legal ramifications that I need to go to? How do I get that? How do I mask it? How do I make sure it's secure? How do we make sure that we don't have multiple copies floating out there, right? So what's the best way to do that? So, you know, then you start getting into, you know, ephemeral environments and things of that nature. So I think it really depends in terms of that typical persona, in terms of how you engage with them and their understanding of quality and where they need to do it, because it has to really span across the, the entire DevOps lifecycle. So there has to be different conversations for those different groups. I, I agree. Yeah. Oh, good. good. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Kushia. I just wanted to say as well, I agree with what Clint's saying. At Tricentus, we have a um, continuous testing framework. So, you know, different types of customers have different levels of maturity when it comes to their testing and DevOps practices. So we have a crawl, walk, run, fly approach. And um, the first step usually involves let's switch to test automation because a lot of companies out there are still doing manual testing. And once you establish a good set of automated tests, then you need to look at thing, aspects such as, well, what about performance testing? What about usability testing? Then you need to s expand your uh, different types of testing that you're doing. But then again, complexities arise. How do you integrate those tips it tests into your CI/CD pipeline, and that's really quite complicated. So we have to really look at the the company and the the industry in which they're in, because there's different levels of maturity. So, for instance, if you look at banking or challenger banks, I mean, they're having to test a, across a really wide variety of applications, not only those consumer-facing apps, which, by the way, if there's one tiny glitch or if the application loads too slowly, the customer will just get frustrated and customers today are ruthless and they will just go to the competitor. So not only do you have to ensure your consumer-facing apps and customer-facing apps are flawless, but also that it works well from an end-to-end -end perspective. So from banking, you know, you have to make sure that integrates well with your back-end systems, with your third-party applications as well, if you're doing SMS verification, and that whole process needs to be tested. But the question is, how frequently do you need to test that? You know, do you test it um, you know, every 40 seconds or every 11 seconds, like Amazon does with its um, current applications. Well, I would argue you, that's where you need to define the test strategy. You run your unit tests uh, on a much more frequent basis. But when it comes to those larger end-to-end -end tests, you know, we see companies having different approaches. Some run them on a nightly basis, on a weekly basis. It really depends on how much um, coverage you're aiming to get and what, what is it that you're actually testing. Uh, two, I think like Mitch, it depends like as a similar and Clint called out customer to customer, uh, but the core principle remains the same. 
we cannot think about development at testing as two different things. It's the entire software development cycle. You design, you build, you test. One of the things which ServiceNow has done is like it has talked through low code, no code in every category. Like we cannot make development super easy and testing still very hard. So ServiceNow has invested in creating low code, no code testing tools where we automatically generate test cases for your business rules. We automatically generate performance test cases, give you performance uh, heat map on like, okay, if you have XYZ users running concurrently on the system, how much will be the load? So all of these things help the customer on board into the testing strategy. And as Simona was calling out, like each enterprise needs to make their own decisions, right? Like how many times they are running their unit test cases, how many times they are running their end-to-end cases. Like if multiple developers, even low-code, no-code are working together, what kind of hygiene uh, practices the enterprise wants them to go through so that the conflicts are not uh, causing any regressions for the end user. So if every, everything is thought through as like, hey, I'm building a product and not building a product and testing a product, then the right practices are baked in. But it seems that um, you know different platforms, different technologies provide test capabilities themselves there's also um other other kinds of testings that may not may, may not be provided by that platform but also cross application cross deployment uh, activity pipelines that we need testing because when i was i was running it at a period where everybody was worried about shadow it shadow it shadow it it's like you know folks are doing this for a reason there's value they're trying to gain um, you know, one of the roles IT can be here for is to provide security, access to data, sort of cross-deployment and uh, coordination, pipeline coordination of delivery of software, because a lot of times there's integration between our own app and third-party apps. And that, that gets pretty complex. That's not something a business person necessarily was going to want to spend the time to figure all that stuff out and know the back end of what's happening in the systems and IT. And that seems to be another place where the professional tester or a test or QA organization can, can step in and say, yes, okay, great. When you deliver this new functionality for the product that you're releasing, here's the coordinated test plan that we'll do with the billing application and the provisioning and the product or the product catalog while you're delivering the whatever part of it that the customer orders, something like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, when I when I joined Delphix, uh, I initially thought I had a you know a really keen understanding of just test data management and some of the you know the use cases and some of the challenges. And one of the things that I've learned and just understanding you know from customer case studies and talking with customers and um, different events and so forth is the fact that when you think about what you what you just talked about, and we've all experienced this, um, your Tricentis and ServiceNow, when you're working with these integrated, um, complex end-to-end systems where you have, you know, um, commercial applications, homegrown applications, you know, your package applications where you have Salesforce, ServiceNow, all these components linked. When I thought about it from a data perspective, this is where, you know, you have a new wrinkle. 
into that. So now I've got all these, you know, trying to test all these systems, how they work together. Now I have to make sure that all the test data is in sync across all these different applications and trying to maintain that. So I think there's so many different levels in terms of how we need to look at quality just across the board. And then we haven't even talked about platform engineering or performance testing or observability and some of these other key capabilities that come in. So it's, I think a lot of times as organizations, you know, it's just kind of step back and look at, okay, what do we really need to be successful so that we don't hit these roadblocks, right? So we always say that, you know, the, the whole cliche is, you know, QA is always the bottleneck. Well, no, it's not necessarily QA. It's because of how we, our lack of planning, that's kind of causing that. So I always try to look at it from the standpoint of, okay, what are the things we really need to make sure that we're focus, focusing on so that they can properly address these issues across the board? Yeah, and I think um, it's it's true that, you know, QA is always an afterthought and it's um, not just QA, it's security testing as well. And I think this data point is always iterated in almost every single state of DevOps report that you read. The number one barrier to adopting DevOps is, I mean, I think this was in a recent Dynatrace report that, you know, 50 55% of organizations admit that they are forced to make a trade-off between security and quality and user experience in order to meet that rapid trans transformation. And test data, as you point out, Clinton, is a huge problem as well. It's not just test data. It's many different facets of testing. Um, but, you know, going back to what Mitch said re regarding, you know, shadow IT and, you know, how how can we solve that problem? Because I think security is a huge critical component. I mean, we all know DevSecOps is, is a very important trend. We need to be integrating security much earlier into the development cycle. So what do we do when all these business users are building all these, you know, no-code platforms that do deliver value, but they also can cause a lot of security threats to, um, you know, the organization if they are not test, if the applications are not tested for security. And then you will end up in a really messy situation where your customers lose trust. So I think that these no-code platforms really need to embed those security functionalities within them, whether it's, you know, access control or, you know, threats assessments, because that's really a situation that you don't, you don't want to be getting into. And, we have numerous examples in our industries of, you know, uh, companies facing huge challenges. Like I think it was Target uh, back in 2013. They they had a suffered a data breach that compromised the personal information of all their customers. Right? Why? Because the security, the payment system processing system, was not tested thoroughly and in advance. So, I think we do need to be thinking more carefully about. How can we embed security testing with those personas that are developing beyond uh, building applications beyond IT? It's, it's interesting too that um, yeah, I, I once described to someone testing is like think about buying a car if it was coming off the the manufacturing line for the first time but had never been tested. What are all the things you'd want to know? You know, <laughs> how can we do all the buttons and blinkers and all those things? 
hold up? Will this hold up at a certain speed or higher speeds, lower speeds? Longevity, you know, on a long trip versus a short haul. What happens under a you know safety crash condition? They're all different scenarios, right? That we need to think about. Security, <laughs> do the locks keep keep people from uh, stealing your car? There's all. I mean, there's a lot of nice analogies that kind of kind of make sense to someone who's not a professional QA person or security, a DevSecOps uh, security person, to understand why those things um, can fit into a deployment cycle. How do you have that conversation with? Uh, a uh, let's say a citizen developer team to help bring add those things into the mix of what they're doing because you know citizen developers can be just like any other developer don't slow me down don't stop me don't make my job harder right nobody wants that so how do we introduce the these concepts different kinds of testing to them uh, Simona you want to you want to start out yeah I mean I've, I've... It's it is a challenge, and uh, I read this really interesting article in the Economist about um, a business tester. I believe it was an, an Australian telecommunications uh, company. That what this gentleman did is he built an application that unified several different messaging systems for reporting phone line problems. Um, and he did this using a no-code platform. And the app inf- interface looked a bit clunky. I had some buttons here and there, but actually it got adopted across the organization. And I think more than 1,300 employees uh, and technicians were actually using it. And that saved the company $12 million. So yes, it does have value to have these platforms. But when you do, when when an employee feels empowered and wants to bring innovation to the company because they are, after all, the front line with the customers, with the employees, and they know exactly what needs to be built, then enable them, let them build it, let them experiment. But there needs to be some procedures in place. And I think that that's precisely where security testing teams and IT teams can come in. They need to collaborate. So this is where, you know, DevOps is not just, it's not all about tools. It's about how do we, if you want to launch such, a, such an application, you need to then therefore bring in the IT teams to precisely t- test those platforms uh, in terms of data, privacy, and make sure that all those aspects are in place. So, look, I don't have a, a silver bullet answer, but I think that collaboration is, is crucial. And I know there are several tools in the market that uh, do enable security testing to, to come in earlier into the piece. Yeah, and I was going to add to that. I think that what you're starting to see now is a majority of the, excuse me, the the, the DevOps or DevSecOps platforms are starting to ensure that their tools have security uh, mechanisms built in to make sure that it can be done at that dev test level. So they're really starting to incorporate that uh, across the board. I think the other thing is that there needs to be a more proactive input um, in terms of, because security, again, is not a nice to have anymore. It's it's a must and it has to be, it used to be, you know, you ask the developer to, you know, make sure his code is secure. He'd have to go to the security team and bring them in so they could kind of help out. So now it's kind of, you know, you're getting the, you're starting to get the best of both worlds. So it's a matter of, how can we ensure that? So um, another example, if you, there was a large telecommunications company that within the last few months had a huge breach um, that cost them millions and millions of dollars. Well, where did that breach come from? Well, they got in through 
the systems that they use for testing and the, the you know the information that they use for testing will allow us to breach those systems. So it comes down to, as someone was talking about, making sure you have that in place, but making sure that if you have groups where security is not their, you know, their bread and butter, or they don't have the wherewithal to really kind of grasp that, you can put those things in place to ensure that as they're doing their development, as they're doing their testing, they're going to be taken care of. There's something that they shouldn't have to actively think about at that level. But, you know, again, it should be on everyone's mind, but they shouldn't have to proactively be looking to that it should be something that should be embedded in all of these systems as we go forward. I, I agree with that. I think one of the big things which these low-code, no-code tools should solve for is like embedding these best practices as guardrails into the system itself. And that will take out a lot of noise out of the system. So that's the first part. The second part is like introducing these concepts to that developer, whether it's a local developer or a professional developer, to, to test these things at the right time. Like there is, there, is, there is a fundamental thing in the industry where they call like shift left, shift left. Like you don't want to test when your entire app or entire thing is built because then you're putting a lot of onus on finding the issues at the tail end of your development cycle. You want to find the issues when you're developing. So introducing those best practices early in the development cycle, whether you're a pro-code developer or a low-code developer, is going to help a lot. The, the third thing is the bridge, which I talked earlier. If there is an amazing bridge between a low-code developer and a pro-code developer, they, then they can work together in this journey where like a local developer could build an application, send that to code review or to testing to the pro code buddy, and they can work together figuring out the right testing strategy and then putting it in production. One thing which we haven't touched yet is like the importance of beta users. Right. Once you build an application, you want to have that application used by a small set of users who can give you feedback on user experience, who can give you feedback on the important issues or important use cases you, you want to cater to. And that kind of feedback, listening to your customer, listening to your end user, and incorporating that feedback into that application at the right time becomes very, very important. 100% agree, Kushan. I just want to add, um, when you bring in that feedback, you know, that's when you can fix the problem right there and then. You don't need to fill, you know, build the full solution and then launch it to the market. You need to bring in that much needed feedback early so that you can prevent such, you know, issues coming to the fore. And, you know, speaking of security, um, one thing I think that's also very interesting is AI and what that means for privacy and security. And so if you look at, you know, uh, functionalities or solutions such as process mining, right? This is where you look at how does the uh, application work in production and how can we derive test cases from that by analyzing how users are using the platform. I find that very fascinating, but I also find it quite um, concerning when it comes to, you know, privacy and security because, 
process mining and discovery, what it does is it utilizes uh, event logs and looks at screenshots. And where do you store those screenshots? Is it in the customer zone servers or is it potentially sensitive data being exposed to external servers? And I think that's always like a huge showstopper for organizations. And that's those are the challenges that we also need to address when we're embedding different technologies to, you know, speed up testing, but, um, you know, bring those uh, privacy concerns earlier to avoid catastrophes, right? Yeah, yeah no, and I totally agree with that because I think if you look at uh, ephemeral environments, and I think that really helps reduce the amount of data sprawl in terms of where things are are kept and how things need to be kept. So that's that's a huge. Um, I think that's a that's a big issue as well. Yeah, I was thinking of note for our producers. Another great topic we could have is how do you test uh, AI generated code? Is there special <laughs> considerations? <laughs> For that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can just go to Chat GPT and ask them how do we test. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just go down the the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's wrap up on this. And I'm sorry, I opened the the portal to that rabbit hole. We won't go fully down it. Um, you know, something else we haven't talked about yet. We talked about DevSecOps, kind of the ship left idea with security, right? And also that applies very much to um, to testing as well. There's also a shift right, both for security, but also for testing, right? Testing and production, which used to be a big no-no, right? We would never do that. But now it's it's a very legitimate strategy and approach. Um, uh, Kush, maybe if you want to kind of kick off thoughts on what might low-code, no-code developers um, think about of, of things that are beneficial to test in production, that aren't going to be destructive, but are going to be valuable to to learn and improve from. Uh, the first thing which comes to mind, which Clint also called out, uh, was observability. Right in production, you can essentially gauge like how is your CPU load, how is your memory pressure, how many users are concurrently using your application. Can you scale up your application? How many users are coming from different countries? What are the experiences for them if you don't have a CDN? All these things you will get to know when you're in production and when you are like deploying your applications, like from small number of users to ultimately like the full set of users you have. And that kind of testing becomes very, very important. One of the things which has become very, very apparent in an enterprise industry is like everyone wants to have consumer grade applications. Because if I'm used to going to a consumer grade application in my personal life, I want to have the exact same experience when I'm in office. I want a consumer-grade application with, which feels snappy, which has amazing user interface, and which can do work for me rather than me working on that application. And like all of these things become very, very important when you're thinking about that shift, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that one of the issues that we fail to i think when you think about the the biggest myth i think when it comes to low code no code is that it's especially when you put it in the context of devops is that you think of these tools as or solutions as being very limited in terms of what they can do either whether you shift left or shift right you know in terms of the level of integration of what you can do when you think of low code no code you automatically think okay i'm limited i can't do all the things that a 
um, a traditional developer can do, but you still can. You can follow those same best practices and the things that are needed to implement DevOps correctly and DevSecOps, you know, in terms of doing observability, doing monitoring, doing performance monitoring, and all these things, you know, understanding what does it look like on the production side, um, being able to use that particular data to be able to ensure that we're going to really, you know, we're going to build the right application. So I think it really comes down to if we are going to, when we talk about shifting right, um, and Simona mentioned this earlier, how a lot of times we focus, when we think of DevOps, we focus on the shift left side. We think about a developer perspective, but never an operations perspective. So now we have to look at observability, you know, in the larger context, as well as, um, you know, monitoring and things of that nature. Well, Simona, in debates, if your name gets called out, then you get to, you get to jump in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't disagree, which means that I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Double negative. Um, but no, I think uh, shift right is definitely very critical because um, there are just certain issues that can't always be found in the early stages of testing. And that's when you really need to bring in both functional and non-functional testing, such as performance, security. Um, you know, you need to see how that works from an end user perspective. A lot of uh, critical issues can actually be caught then. So we need to be thinking about that, definitely. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you to all of you. I'm going to mention to, um, to our audience, we now deliver uh, DevOps Unbound as a podcast, so you can get it on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, you, can go, you can also go to uh, DevOpsUnboundPodcast.com and start there or go to uh, Spotify or Apple or whatever uh, podcast uh, delivery system that you enjoy using. Simona, thank you so much for uh, being here with us. And thank you to all, everyone at Tricentis for sponsoring uh, a kind of industry collegial conversation here today. Kush, uh, great to have you uh, from the ServiceNow perspective. Of course, a very widely used low-code, no-code platform and lots of a wealth of experience and, and knowledge bringing uh, from that perspective. And of course, Clint, in your prior and new roles, and, and now kind of thinking about the data side, it's been good to have you from Delphix as well. So thank you to all three. Thank you, Tricentis. And, and most importantly, thanks to our audience for spending this time with us together and exploring the topic. We hope you will come back for our next topic. We, uh, we have a new episode about every two weeks and some live roundtables. So be sure and watch uh, DevOps.com and also TechStrong.tv. TechStrong.tv, excuse me for uh, um, new and as well as past episodes. We'll see you all soon on the road to DevOps and low code, no code.